Welcome to Exhale Bible Discovery. Each week, we'll take a deep dive into the Bible, going line by line and chapter by chapter to discover the truths that God has for us in His Word. It's Dr. Paula McDonald with our Exhale Bible Discovery, and we are continuing with our study of John, and today we're going to be in John chapter 20. Well, what a powerful lesson of the in-depth look into the crucifixion of our Lord in the last chapter. It was a tough reality, but this week we get to dig into the best news of all, that He is risen. So we're going to start out with the first verses, 1 through 9, in the division I'm calling the vacant tomb. So there's a few questions to ask. Who was at the tomb first? Well, John only mentions Mary Magdalene by name. However, in verse 2, he writes, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. This implies that Mary Magdalene was not alone. And perhaps John only mentions Mary Magdalene because of her testimony in verse 18. But when we're studying the Gospels, it's important that we do a side-by-side study of the other Gospels to see who else they were referring to. As a woman, I am quite honored that God would orchestrate this most wonderful event to have women be the first not only to see the empty tomb, but then to be the first to see the resurrected Christ. And as we've studied John, we have seen the many ways that Jesus honored women. We'll do a quick review of that, but if you want to go look at who were the women who visited the tomb in Easter morning, Matthew 28, 1 says Mary Magdalene and then the other Mary. In Mark 16, 1, he says Mary Magdalene. Mary, the mother of James, and Salome. In Luke 24.10, it was Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, Joanna, and others. And then here in John 20, it's Mary Magdalene. So I want to do a quick review. John 2 was Jesus's first miracle, was at the request of his beloved mother. What an honor for her. John 4.7, the woman at the well. Jesus gave her his complete attention and acknowledged her in a very personal way. And then she goes on to be the one, if not the first person, to tell others, the non-Jews, about Jesus. Then in John 8, 3, the way Jesus handled and honored the woman accused of adultery, it is such a beautiful reminder of his compassion and respect for all. Not only did he forgive her, she was able to go forth in life as a forgiven woman. Then in John 11, both Mary and Martha are witnesses to their brother being brought back from the grave. His compassion for these women was undeniable. In John 12, Martha served Jesus while Mary anointed him with her gift of oil. 
And then in John 19, 26 through 27, Jesus's care for his mother is so poignant as he instructs John to care for his mother now as John's mother. So the miracle of the empty tomb is we need to understand the miracle of what it meant that the tomb was indeed empty. There's so much more to this story. Well, a tomb in those days was a cave or a carved out place in the stone, and a stone slab would have been carved inside where they would place a body. And then a large round stone would be rolled in front of the open. So let's talk about the removal of this stone. In Matthew 27, 62 through 66, the chief priests and Pharisees went to Pilate and told them that Jesus said that after three days, he would rise again. So he gives the order for the tomb to be secured until that third day. And then Pilate orders a guard to make the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. And that seal would have been a soft, pliable, probably a material of clay imprinted with the Roman imperial seal and attached to a rope onto the stone. And so breaking the seal would cause one to incur the emperor's wrath. And not to mention, there was a posted guard there as well. And then you have to look at the sheer size and weight of the stone was not a simple feat to just simply roll out of the way. It would have taken several large men exerting extreme force. And if a guard were posted and fell asleep, he would have been right there next to the entrance. And most likely, somebody's coming and trying to roll away this stone, they would have woken up this guard or guards. So we have all these different theories out there. There's the swooning theory. Well, it says they mean Jesus didn't really die on that cross. He just fell into a coma-like state where he later was revived in the coolness of the tomb. Well, we have a problem here. As we know from the last lesson of the in-depth extent of Jesus's battered body, this theory is simply not plausible. And additionally, why would all of the disciples who ended up being martyred for Christ risk their lives for a lie? Well, then there's hallucination theory. Those who claim to see Jesus after his death, well, they were just simply hallucinating. Well, the odds of that many people all suffering from a same exact hallucination kind of debunks this theory. Well, then there's a stolen body theory, which suggests the disciples got together and they formed this elaborate plan to steal Jesus's body and then make up stories of seeing him alive in order to fulfill the prophecy. And again, there's the problem of how they got into the tomb. Then where would they have taken the body? And then all of the disciples risking their lives and willing to die for a lie. You guys, that's simply not likely. Then there's an impersonation theory. Those who claim to see Jesus after his death, well, they really just saw an impersonator of Jesus. And again, his disciples spent years with him, and they knew him better than anyone on the earth. 
Well, the room they were in was locked, and Thomas speaks of seeing the wounds, and the disciples recognized Jesus. And then he spoke to them, and they knew his voice, just as Mary Magdalene recognized his voice. Well, then there's the unknown tomb theory, which speculates that no one really knew where the tomb was. And the scriptures refute this by the fact that the two Pharisees, Joseph and Nicodemus, asked for Jesus's body, and they used Joseph's personal tomb. And this would have been in an area that would have been known. So now let's talk about the arrival at the tomb. Chapter 20 begins with early on the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene arrives at the tomb and sees that the stone has been removed. She immediately runs to Peter and John to tell them that someone has taken Jesus's body. So imagine for just a moment her distress still reeling from the horrors of the crucifixion to now fearing that somebody had taken his body would have been too much. And no doubt her fears would have been the further desecration of his sacred body. But next, we see Peter and John racing to the tomb with John arriving first. Peter, however, is the first to actually go inside the tomb and he examines the evidence of the linen strips and the cloth laying where Jesus' body had been. The other disciples also arrive, and the scripture says that they still did not understand that Jesus had risen from the dead. You can imagine. (laughs) There was probably a whole lot of confusion going on at that time. Well, the Matthew 28 account says, A violent earthquake took place and an angel of the Lord came down and rolled the stone away. The guards were afraid and became like dead men. The angel spoke to the women and told them not to be afraid, and that Jesus was not there because he had risen. They would see him again, and some of the guards reported this to the chief priests. Then the priests devise a lie to tell the disciples that Jesus' body had been stolen. Well, let's look at the Mark 16 account. Mary Magdalene, mother of James, and Salome brought spices to anoint Jesus' body. And this anointing would have been different from the preparation of the spices of Joseph and Nicodemus. And they asked themselves on the way to the tomb the logical question of who would roll away the stone. And then as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting right there on the side. And he tells the women not to be alarmed that Jesus had risen. Go tell the disciples. Then the Luke account says the women took the spices to the tomb and they found the stone rolled away and they did not see the body of the Lord. Two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them and they bowed down and the men said, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Well, I want to read to you from an article by Josh McDowell. He says, The area which has generated the most discussion concerning the angels who were at the tomb of Jesus. Matthew and Mark relate that one angel addressed the women, while Luke and John say that two angels were there. And it seems to be a discrepancy with Matthew and Mark knowing of only one angel 
while the other two say, nope, there were two. However, Matthew and Mark do not say that there was only one angel at the tomb, but that one angel spoke to the women. So this does not contradict Luke and John, for Matthew and Mark specify that one angel spoke, but they don't say that there was only one angel present. Just that one angel spoke. Quite possibly, one of the angels served as the spokesperson for the two, thus he was the one emphasized. There is no need to assume a discrepancy. Though they report some of the details differently, the Gospels all agree of the important points. The accounts are in harmony on the fact that Jesus was dead and was buried, and that the disciples were not prepared for his death, and they were totally confused that the tomb was empty on Easter morning, and that that empty tomb did not convince them that Jesus had risen, and that Mary thought the body had been stolen. The gospel writers also concur that the disciples had certain experiences which they believed to be appearances of the resurrected Christ, that the normative first century Judaism had no concept of a dying and rising Messiah as a historical fact. So again, as we have discussed in our study of John, different experiences, views, and memories from various people will always tell a story in a different manner. Well, now let's look at the second part of this chapter, and these are the visitations by Jesus. There are at least 10 times the Gospels mention that Christ appeared from the tomb to his ascension into heaven. In fact, there are hundreds of witnesses who claimed this to be true. Also noteworthy is that of the 11 disciples who were still alive, all died terrible deaths because they refused to deny that Christ had risen. The Shroud of Turin is quite compelling as well. And if you want to go do some deep diving on this study, it's quite fascinating. And you can go and there's a website called indefenseofthecross.com slash the-shroud-of-turin, T-U-R-I-N. Very good read. So let's look at the appearance at the tomb. The John Gospel tells of Mary crying outside of the tomb when she looks in and sees two angels in white seated where Jesus had been. And they ask her why she is crying. And she says, her Lord has been taken away. And she turns around to see Jesus standing there, but didn't recognize him. He says to her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? And she believes him to be the gardener. But when he speaks her name, she instantly recognizes him and calls him Rabboni. He tells her not to hold on to him. And then she goes on to tell the disciples that she has seen the Lord. Well, in the Matthew 28 account, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. A violent earthquake happens. An angel comes down, rolls the stone and sits on it. His appearance is like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And the guards were so afraid they shook and became like dead men. The angel tells the woman, don't be afraid because Jesus is not there. He is risen. As the women hurry to tell the disciples, Jesus meets them saying greetings and they clasp his feet and worship him. 
and he tells them not to be afraid and to go tell his brothers when they see him in Galilee. Then the Mark 16 account. Mary Magdalene, the mother of James and Salome, who's believed to be the mother of James and John, and the wife of Zebedee, you can find that in Matthew 27, 56. As they are walking to the tomb, they see the stone has been rolled away. Then they see a young man dressed in a white robe and are alarmed. And he tells them, don't be alarmed. Jesus has risen. Go tell the disciples. Then Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, and she goes and tells the other. Again, Jesus appears to the two women in a different form while they were walking. So then let's look at how the appearance happened to the disciples. In our John lesson, it is evening on that first day and the disciples were together in a room with the doors locked. And you can imagine the scene happening there, a fear and sadness and oh my gosh, what to do next as they were all dealing with the death of Jesus. And then Jesus appears standing before them and says, peace be with you. And he shows them his hands and side. And a second time he tells them, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. He then breathes on them saying, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Wow. Can you even imagine? Holy Jesus, personally breathing the gift of the Holy Spirit upon you? That is mind-blowing. Next, we see Thomas entering the scene and questioning if whom they saw truly was Jesus, which is why we call him Doubting Thomas. In verse 26, we see that a week later, they were all together with Thomas and Jesus as he came through the door and stood among them. And he greets them with a peace be with you. And then he turns to Thomas and instructs him to place his fingers in his hands and side where the wounds had been. And he tells them to stop doubting and to believe. And then in verse 30, it says that Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, not recorded in this book. I can just imagine what that scene was like. The Matthew 28 account says the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountains where Jesus told them to go. And when they say him, they worshiped him. Jesus gives them what is called the Great Commission. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then we need to look at the Mark 16 account. Later, Jesus appears to the eleven as they were eating, and he rebukes them for their lack of faith and their refusal to believe the women. And you can imagine the conversation that they must have been having at the moment Jesus shows up and he gives them the same great commission mentioned in Matthew. And he goes on to say they would drive out demons, speak in new tongues, pick up snakes that would not harm them, nor would poison or hurt them. 
And then in the Luke account, it's a little different. The road to Emmaus account says two of them were on this road outside of Jerusalem. They were walking and talking about everything that had happened. And then Jesus appears next to them, walking with them. And the scripture says that at first they were kept from recognizing him. And Jesus asked them, what are they discussing? One name Cleopas asked him if he were a visitor, since he didn't seem to understand what they were talking about. And so Jesus asked for clarification, and they say, Jesus of Nazareth, a powerful prophet in word and deed before God and all people, was handed over and sentenced to death and crucified. And they tell him the women and some of the disciples found the empty tomb. And Jesus tells them, he says, How foolish are you and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scripture concerning himself. Well, can you imagine getting a scriptural download directly from Jesus? And as they approached the town, they urge Jesus to stay with them. And Jesus agrees. And while at dinner, Jesus broke bread and gave thanks, which instantly caused them to recognize him. They find the 11 and they tell him about meeting and walking with Jesus. And as they told this to them, Jesus appears standing among them saying, peace be with you. And he tells them that he sees the marks, see the marks on his hands and feet. And he instructs them to touch him, saying, a ghost does not have flesh and bones. And he tells them everything has been fulfilled and that he had risen from the dead. It's an amazing, amazing thing. So you guys, there are so many wonderful lessons in each of these accounts. Let's look at this. Jesus is, he defied death. Jesus was real, and he was not just a spirit. He gave personally his disciples the gift of the Holy Spirit. It was personally, directly from Jesus. He met his beloved people personally, and he enabled those who were doubtful to have a firsthand account that he was truly alive. And he left them and each of them with the charge to go forward and tell others about him that Jesus is in heaven with the Father, that his birth, life, death, and resurrection were all foretold in the scripture. And Jesus reminds us of his peace and that that peace is within each of us. So coming from a tough lesson in 19 of Jesus's crucifixion and death, this beautiful chapter 20 gives us much hope. As believers, it is the basis of all foundation of the Christian faith. And so I want to leave you with some journaling questions. How do you apply these truths? One, as we learned how Jesus honored women as being the first to witness his return from the dead, if you're a woman, how does this make you feel? There's no doubt that Jesus honored and revered women, unlike what many have tried to do throughout time. To diminish women. Number two, after studying the different theories of Christ's death and resurrection, how are you better prepared to refute 
those who say these stories are not true. And what will you say now? Three, why was it important that Jesus came back and spoke personally with his people? And what does this mean to you? And number four, how are you taking time to meet with Jesus personally? Five, what does peace be with you mean to you? And finally, six, in what real ways can you show those in your life the peace of Jesus? And so on that note, have a beautiful week, and we will conclude with the final chapter of John next time. See you soon. Be sure to visit my website, drpaulamcdonald.com, click on podcast, and then exhale Bible discovery for self-study guides and resources to support you with each episode.